Oh, hallelujah. While you stand, just take your scriptures, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Job. Oh, what wonderful and anointed singing. I praise the Lord with you for your worship in this second service. And I want to get right to the word. Thank you for being here. Actually, brothers and sisters, there are more than one reference that I want to look at in the book of Job for the lesson today. This is a continuation of last Sunday. Couldn't get away from it. Didn't want to actually because it was still rich in my spirit. So we'll begin at at, at Job chapter 1. Just bow your head just a moment. Father, I go back into the word here, but I don't want to presume upon the first anointing. I want another anointing. I don't mean, oh God, that, that I'm trying to say that you can improve upon the last. But I'm just saying because we're housed in flesh, we need the anointing, God. Oh, I believe you're my healer. I believe you're all that we need. I believe you're living in this church. And I believe that all of us, God, can get a right now word from the Holy Ghost. So just kind of rivet our minds to the Bible and the Word. And I resist any distraction that Satan would use to try to steal the nuggets of God's glory from the lives of your children. Thank you for this powerful time in your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. And thank you for being seated. Job chapter 1. Let me get right into it. I'm going to make a, a statement, but actually in the form of a question. Have you ever noticed that when bad things happen... They often happen to the wrong person. I mean, when it happens to somebody else, if it happens to you, it's the wrong person. Bad things happen. When bad things happen, it often happens to the wrong person. I'm not going to ask permission for this. I'll ask apology later. But Ann Jackson, our church office administrator, is here this morning in this service. And... She's just a wonderful lady of God, and all you know that. She's a very wonderful lady of God, and very discreet, very well-behaved, not like these other staff members that are full of Ritalin or whatever else they shoot themselves up with or don't shoot themselves up with. And just to calm in the storm. And last week, before last week, she suffered in her back. And this week, on Thursday evening, she fell and broke her right arm. And... Uh, I tell you, when bad things happen, they often happen to the wrong people. And Anna, she's just not worthy of that, deserving of that. A few, two or three other people you might think of who might benefit from a broken right arm. I also told Anne, if you want some time off, please don't do that. Just come on ass. That's the part I'll have to ask apology for. A perfect example of a person who didn't deserve something bad to happen to them. This man, whom the Bible dedicates an entire book of the Bible to, his name is Job. When you read and study his life, you'll find that instead of him in Job 1 and 1, and your scriptures are available to you and it's on the screen, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. You know, when I was reading on down in that same chapter along about verse number 8, I found out that this description of Job was not another person's description of Job. This was God's estimation of him. Wow. How many of you think, Pastor, I want to live so that God could say that of me? Can I get an amen? Yeah. And so when God says you're blameless, upright, and one who fears him and shuns evil, you're in good company. And so bad things begin to happen to him. And when bad things happen to the wrong person, we are often left with the haunting word and the question, why? 
I answered some of that last week, and I won't rehearse that now. But Job, it could be asked about his suffering. Why Job? Job was not only a good man, he was a godly man. He was not only a faithful husband, brothers and sisters, he was a loving and devoted father. He was a good employer. And according to what we know about Job in the Bible, in his early part of his life, he was devoted to hard work, discipline in his work, devoted to integrity. And as a result of that, he was able to lead a prosperous lifestyle when we read about him in chapter 1. With plenty of land, he was blessed with much land. With an abundance of food, barns, storehouses, etc. Enough livestock and camel and other animals. And you read about it in chapter 1. We talked about it last week. With all of this available to him. You would think that he had enough to fund his dreams for the rest of his life without a glitch. If anybody had it made, it would be Job at this point. But as you read on further, you don't even get past the first chapter of the 42 chapters of this book. And you discover that the bottom of his life dropped out. Seemingly, senseless tragedy invaded the life of a person who did not deserve it. All of us know at least one. Job and his wife were left to pick up the pieces. He lost all of his servants, except the four servants who came to him to tell him of the trouble he was having. One after the other. He lost all of his means of making a living. All of his crops, all of his animals, everything. He didn't have any life insurance and he couldn't file a lawsuit. Didn't have any any kind of means to correct it. And then the Bible said he lost all of his ten grown children, all in one day. And to make matters worse, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, there was more bad stuff coming. Job had no clue that additional unfair and undeserved suffering lay ahead. At least chapter 2, everybody, chapter 2. Satan, after stripping him of all his material possessions and his family, and Job still refusing to sin against God, Satan says, you know, if you, uh, if you let me afflict his body, I know I took his property, took his kids, I know all that stuff, and I know he hadn't cursed you, but uh, Satan says, I'll tell you what, flesh for flesh, bone for bone, suffering for suffering, you let me touch his body. And all this good stuff you said about Job, blameless, upright, and all this stuff, he'll curse you to your face. Verse 6, chapter 2. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, meaning Job, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Verse 8, And he took for himself a pot shed which was to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. I don't intend to re-preach everything I did last week, but just to let you be acquainted with the kind of suffering that met Job. One day, he loses everything. And to think that he could suffer no more, Satan makes the suggestion that let me touch his body. And God allows it. And unexpectedly, it levels Job. 
Matter of fact, he drops into his bed the night before all this starts happening. And he has no idea that he'll never be the same in the next 24 hours. I, I see lessons from Job. Lesson number one is we often do not know ahead of time the plans God has for us. There was a wager going on between God and Satan. The wager was over Job's faithfulness, integrity, and righteousness. And the devil says, I'll show you that there are many out there, Job included, who just go to church and serve God when they do for what they can get out of it. And if it's good, they'll keep going to church and serving God. But if it ain't good, they'll curse you. And God says that may be the case with others, but it's not with Job. That's the wager. Job goes to bed the night before all this happens. Maybe lay out his clothes for the next day. It's going to be a customary day. He knows that I lay out my clothes. I get everything in order. I got the, the farm hands coming in at the sunrise, maybe 5, 30, 6 o'clock. We're going to have a breakfast and we're going to go through the routine. I'm going to sign the chores to those who are over the sheep, over the camel, over the goats, over the donkeys. And I'm going to sign the chores for those over the wheat field and over the cornfield. And and we're going to go through our day. The people in New York City on September 10th, 2001... Went to bed that night, especially those who were employed at the Twin Towers. Went to bed that night not realizing that before 24 hours is out, their whole world was going to be changed. Same same is true for the people who worked at the Pentagon and for the people who were on the different airplanes that were used by terrorists as bombs. I'm not trying here to create a doom and gloom picture, but I am going to give you a little bit of facts by telling you the truth here. That sometimes the way God works is he doesn't always tell us ahead of time what he has for us. Sometimes it's a blessing, other times it's a test. Give me a witness, somebody. Sometimes it may be a wager. That Satan says, you know what, I think I, think I, I can get Alan Matura to succumb to the flesh. So let me, let me, let me try him out. Sometimes it may be a wager. Sometimes it may be a test. And I told you last week that sometimes God allows suffering into our lives because He wants to prepare us for something else, bigger and better. Can I get an amen? I told you last week that sometimes God allows suffering into our lives because it's sort of educational. Can I get another amen? I want to tell you something. I have learned a whole lot more from my mistakes than I have learned from my successes. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I have learned a whole lot more from letting my mouth run before my brain got into gear than I have from saying the right things. And so sometimes God allows the consequences of suffering to come upon us to prepare us and also to educate us. Sometimes our suffering can be revelational or revelatory, meaning revealing something. You never really know who you are until the hammer hits. You never really know who you are until suffering comes to your house. Give me an amen here, somebody. You never really know who you are until the rubber hits the road. And sometimes God will allow suffering in our lives because there are some things. I told you last week, whatever you are full of, you're going to overflow it. And some of you and I have been full of it. And you know what it is. 
And sometimes God allows suffering to reveal that there are some places in us that needs to come under the blood of Jesus. And so he won't always tell us his plans ahead of time. Nobody said to Job the night before, the day before, he would suffer. Look out, tomorrow's going to be a bad day. No angelic visitation came to his house the night before. Nobody, he didn't get a dream in the night and warning him of impending danger for the next few months. There wasn't even a tap on his front door or a note on his kitchen table that said, Look out, Joe, bad times are coming. In one disaster after another, another, according to the Bible, all his livestock, all his servants are gone. All his crops are burned up and destroyed. All his children are killed. All the buildings that were on his farm, acres and acres of his farm, all the buildings have been demolished. And nothing but lumber and strewn bodies of animals and people are all over the landscape. Job's just got through, just got through at the close of that day of his suffering. He just comes from the freshly dig, dug graves of ten of his children. Tell me, my friends, if that isn't suffering. His world is instantly changed. And God didn't put this book in the canon of scripture called the book of Job with 42 chapters just to make the book thicker. God put this book here so that you and I could learn from it. And one of the things you and I must learn is we never know what a day will bring. Say amen somebody. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to have pains. I don't want you. But we, our enemy is the devil. We are in this world and we live in a house of flesh and we're not yet in heaven and we don't have glorified bodies yet. And the devil has helpers. They are demons and they are imps and he has fiery darts and his desire is to get you to detour on your journey to heaven and backslide and miss God. So we are under attack from time to time in our body, in our mind, in our finances, in our marriage. I would, I would say to you, brothers and sisters, that since God is not obliged to tell us His ways or His plans, ours must be a walk of faith and not sight. That's a good word. Yeah. You can't go by your feelings all the time. If I took a poll and asked you, how many right now feel like you want to go to work tomorrow? Raise your hands. Don't raise it. Your boss might be here today visiting because you asked him to come. How about students? If I ask you, how many would like to have tomorrow off? Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Huh? I think I get a majority vote. But you can't go by your feelings alone. Let me give you another little nugget here. We have to learn to trust God when we can't touch God. Oh, I feel His presence. You know, sometimes it's just good to have somebody nearby where you, could, where you feel their nearness and you feel their presence and you could, you could just touch them. Kimberly had an occasion to be uh, treated this week for a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a need in her body and her health, and she was only she was only there at the doctor for a little bit in the hospital to get a little little bit of an IV thing, and she was out in a couple of hours, and she's doing better, thank the Lord. But 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 her husband was on an assignment in uh, uh, because of a youth ministry assignment in another part of Atlanta, and my wife was at school, and and, and I was here at the church. And she came, when I got to her, because I was able to get here quicker than, uh, than J.C. or Valerie, and because I'd rather me be the hero than them. And so uh, <laughs> what I did is I get over to her, and, and uh, Pastor Jeff, she said to me, I felt so overwhelmed, I started crying. And she said, the doctor, the doctor held her hand and let her cry. I tell you, that's good bedside manners. I, I think, I think that, that's em- empathy, isn't it? 
And, and so the fact of the matter is, is that there are times that, that, he, that Jesus ain't going to be there to hold your hand and you feel him physically. But he's going to be there anyhow. And here's what I want you to understand. Write this down. Regardless of whether God tells you his plans for you or not, our God knows what's best. Can somebody say amen? I'm saying to you that God will not always, because if God tells you his plans he has for you sometimes, and what you have to go through to get to your place of blessing, you're going to say, I think you're, bypass me, Lord. Can I get an amen here? Joseph gets some dreams, you know, and he says he's a 17-year-old boy and he gets some dreams and and he starts telling his brothers, I'm going to, uh, the Lord showed me these dreams and visions and it implied that he's going to be a ruler and he's going to be some man of authority. And also the dreams imply that his brothers and his father will one day worship him as some great ruler. And Joseph's all excited about it, and, and he's energetic, and he's only young, you know, and, and, and lo and behold, he's telling it, and his brothers get mad, and you know what happens? And if Joseph knew that in order for God's will to be done in his life, he'd be sold into slavery and away from his father for 17 more years. If he knew in order for God's plan to come through, if God had told him ahead of time that you'd, have, you'd be uh, falsely accused of rape and put in jail, if God told him ahead of time you'd be in jail for a long time and people you help in jail who said they're going to remember you when you get out of jail forgot you, if Joseph got the whole rundown and all he had to get through to get to where he was going to be, he'd have probably said, go ahead and call Pastor Jeff instead of me, Lord. How many know God can't tell us everything about where we're going because our flesh may not be able to build up to that faith until we get there? But thank God. Amen? Now, let me tell you something else I've lived and learned in, in this life of mine and, and yours. Just as God has a plan for us that he don't always tell us about, the devil has a plan for us. Did you hear me? There's a, there's a war going on over your soul and my soul, your family and my family, your marriage and my marriage. There's a war going on over your teenagers and, uh, and, and our teenagers. Those who, can I get an amen here? There's a war going on over our minds and our health. The battle of the ages between God and Satan, but God is already victorious. I just want to remind you that Jesus conquered all of this at Calvary and the devil is a liar. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The devil has a plan for your life too. And to put it in a nutshell, John 10 and 10, Jesus said about the devil's plan. But the thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil has a plan also. And his plan is according to 1 Peter 5 and 8, where Peter says, be sober. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. Going about seeking whom he may devour. But God has a better plan for you. We like to quote this and I want to read it to you. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says about God's plan for I know the thoughts. The Lord says that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Say amen to that somebody. And not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. And beyond that you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Say amen. And you will seek me and find me when you've searched for me with all of your heart. I am not a God that cannot be found. My arm is not shortened. My ear is not deafened. My eye is not blind. Call me. Search for me with all your heart and I'll be there. Here's God's plan. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, A man's heart plans his ways, but God, the Lord, directs his steps. Amen, church? Here's another thought about God's plan for you. Proverbs 20 and 24, A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own ways? God says, go right, 
And we want to go left, but if we go right, God may not show us all the destination at the end of it as we go. But like Abraham, if we'll keep going and keep believing, when we get to that land of milk and honey, we'll know we're there. Can I get another amen? What about God's plans? I love what Isaiah says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm not going to work like you want. I'm not going to come at the same time you want. I'm not always going to do it like you want it. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts above your thoughts. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Here's another bit of God's picture of his plans for us. Philippians 4 and 6. Be anxious for nothing. We need that today, don't we, church? With all the panic and all the euphoria and all the bad news, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. i got a plan for you, God says. And that plan includes the peace of God. Everybody say the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's God's plan for you, James 1, 2, and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Don't shun the trials. Don't pray for pain and suffering. But when they come, know that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Somebody ought to say, praise the Lord. And this I must show you. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And when you humble yourself, He in time will exalt you in due time. Casting all, hallelujah, casting all your cares, money, marriage, uh, health, job, children, grandchildren, uh, sickness. This, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Not everything God loves comes your way is to drown you. Matter of fact, God has no interest in drowning you. Give me a witness. Amen. Calamity, pain, division, strife, hurts, misfortune. They're not designed to drown us. What kind of God that would do that to us? And why would he even let his son die for us if he wanted to kill us? Give me a witness, somebody. God's plans are plans of peace. And not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Listen to me now. I know I may have a little struggle holding your attention, but let me tell you something good. The latter is going to be greater than the past. Amen. Yeah. That's the story of Job. Anybody hearing me? Didn't Job end up doubly blessed because of his faithfulness? I want to live my life like Job, help me God, I'm not there yet. I hope you want to live your life like Job. Look in your scripture or look on the screen, Job 1.20. Then Job arose after all this bad news. He tore his robe, which was a symbol of grief and mourning. He shaved his head, another symbol of grief and mourning. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Cattle's gone. Camels are gone. Donkeys are gone. Ten sons and daughters gone. Barns and storehouses and silos gone. Crops burned up. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. Every single thing I got that's now gone. Everything I had, the Lord gave me. And if he wants to take it back, he's God. He don't have to tell me ahead of time. Blessed be his name. 
And I didn't start this journey so I could just only get goods, goods, blessings, blessings, happy, happy, soothe me and stroke me. I started this journey knowing this would be a warfare, but I could put on the whole armor of God. Clap your hands and give a Lord a thanks, somebody. Let me show you another lesson in difficult times. A vertical perspective will keep us from a horizontal panic. <laughs> vertical has always been that way. I don't think it's changed. Y'all looking at me here? Vertical is this direction and that direction, back and forth. Horizontal is this way and all around us. When I suggest to you that a vertical perspective will keep us from a horizontal panic, I'm talking about a perspective, a vertical perspective, because God we perceive is above us and in us. A vertical perspective means for our human understanding that I have a relationship with God. I tell you about this man Job. He was able to say what he said about his suffering and come out doubly blessed. Because before the storms blew in, he already had a living, breathing, everyday relationship with God. You all are hearing me, are you? He didn't start serving God when the messengers start coming in and saying, a tornado come through and kill all your family while they were having a party. He didn't start serving God when the messenger came in and said, the Sabaeans have come in and kill all your, uh, all your livestock and kill the servants and I'm the only one escaped. Somebody ought to say amen. Long before the storms of adversity blew into Job's life, he was sacrificing offerings and gifts to God for his children and just in case they sinned. Somebody ought to say amen. Long before the storms blew in, he was, if you, if I could use today's comparison, he was going to church, he was giving his tithes and offerings, he was praying for other people, he was helping the needy, he was living clean and right long before all of that came in. And the reason that he could survive is because he had a relationship, a, a heavenly perspective, a vertical perspective that nothing in this world could shake. You see, if you and I don't have a right standing and a strong standing with God, when the storms blow in, we're liable to change our view of God. You didn't hear me, did you? I, what I'm saying to you is, if, oh Jesus. You know, some Christians, they blow in and they blow out. I'm talking about spiritually. They come to church when the pain is on and when God answers the prayer, they hit the road, Jack. Forgive me if your name is Jack, but hope you're here. See, if all you have, and this is the problem with much of America's Christianity, shallowness. Shallowness. Sometimes you run hot, most times you run cold. I'm not, I'm not speaking evil over you, I'm just telling you, okay? Hot and cold, in and out, up and down Christianity. If this church don't tickle my fancy, I'll go someplace else and let it tickle my fancy. Oh, preach on, preacher. Thank you, I'm trying to, but you're yelling so loud, I can't get my thoughts. Yeah. We have, I don't mean to be unkind to you, but I'm talking about a, Christ, a relationship with God that stands even when you don't come and get your favorite pew. I want to tell you something about South Metro Ministries, and I want to tell you something about Alan Matura. I will miss it sometimes. I confess, I, re, I go to bed some, some nights with so many regrets that I did not make that other phone call. I go to bed sometimes with some guilt that I did not get to go to the hospital when I should have. I'm going to miss it sometimes. I, I, I go to bed realizing that I told that 
couple that I will call them by two or three days from the time we had a counseling session to follow up and I didn't get to do it. And I'm going to tell you just because Pastor Jeff and Pastor Allen and Pastor David and Pastor Zach and Pastor JC and the elders and others, because we are housed in flesh, we are going to miss it sometimes. And when we miss it, we need to apologize and, and make it right if it, if it takes that, okay? But, but what I'm saying is we are going to, we're going to miss it sometimes. But the, the beautiful thing about it is that we all can touch God together and individually. You can go to your prayer room. You can go to your prayer closet. If the pastor doesn't come by, if the elder doesn't come by, if the Sunday school teacher doesn't call, if your care group leader doesn't come by, if somebody didn't bring a, a pot of food or a meal for you and your family when you're going, we can miss it sometime. But don't backslide and go to another church and curse God and say, just, just beat up everybody else. Somebody ought to say amen. Come on. Listen to me, bro. You know what the problem of American churches is? Everybody wants that. Give me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Come on, I'm preaching now. I woke up a few of you when I said that. You know, somebody, listen, we, you know, I want everybody to get flowers at the hospital when they're sick. But sometimes we miss it. I want everybody to, to be able, I want people, their kids to be celebrating at graduation. But sometimes we miss it because you don't tell us they are graduating. Sometimes we miss it because you go to the hospital and nobody tells us. Either way, if you miss it or I miss it, doesn't mean that we break our relationship with one another and quit it means that we build our relationship with God we love God we pray for one another we help one another we pick up one another and we say we might have missed it then but God helping us we'll get it right from now on somebody ought to praise the Lord boy I tell you when everything's going wonderful and listen to this Greek phrase when everything is going wonderful and hunky-dory we got this great view of God. Everything is going good and life is trucking along real nice and the bills are paid and the kids are making good grades and the marriage is good and, and everything looking good. Boy, man, we, we're so happy the preacher is right on target every Sunday. The choir is right on target every Sunday. The fellowship of the saints are right on target every Sunday. But you let a storm blow in your life. If you don't have a vertical relationship where you fasted and prayed before the storm came, where you've read the Bible, where you've confessed sins, where you've forgiven other people, where you have an anchor that is sure, and you just like you build up your body by eating food for nourishment, you build up your spiritual person by feeding on the Word of God. Listen to me. If you don't have that kind of relationship, when the storm blows in, you'll change your view of God and the devil will exploit you. But if you have that relationship with God, come hell or high water, come tornado or tsunami, come death or life, the Lord is my anchor. Somebody praise Him. Yeah. You may lose it all before it gets over. But he who took it away or let it get taken away, if he can prove you in your trial, will give you more than you can count. And I'm not preaching TBN or Inspiration Channel either. Might as well shuck the whole corn while I'm doing it. I'm so sick and tired of TBN and ISPN and whatever else they call them. Not all of them are bad. Not all of them are, uh, uh, are negative ministries. Turned on the TV, this worldwide renowned preacher. And another worldwide renowned preacher talking about this is the time to sow the largest harvest and seed gift you've ever sown. I looked at them last year and that was the time to sow the largest harvest seed gift you ever sown. You give your tithe and offerings. God will take care of you. And don't send them to Tulsa 
when you're getting fed here. Preach. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think Golden Corral is going to do when I eat over there and go pay them at O'Charlie's? You'll be seeing me in the jail ministry. I'm feeling better now, JC. Thank you for praying for me because now I'm meddling. This bunch of stuff. This gimmick the Christians fall for. God never said he'd make us millionaires. There's some people he will trust with millions. But God never said. Here the people say, so your biggest gift right now if you're going through job loss. Sow a gift. Do the right thing by the church. Tithe and give. And obey God. But this thing about, well, some fellas say, I was preaching in Africa to 40,000 people. I was preaching to Korea to 60,000 people. And there were miracles. I sweated in my sports coat. It was drenching wet. But it was anointed sweat. And if you'll send your biggest gift, I'll cut a piece of that sports coat out and send it to you. You're laughing, but some folks would do that, you know. Buying somebody else's sweat. Preach. I think I will preach. What I need is a living relationship with God. Going chasing up some kind of magic formula that's not even in the Bible. The righteous of God shall suffer tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. <laughs> you know what? Uh, maybe Job's wife's problem, why she suggested to her husband, curse God and die. Maybe her problem was that she didn't have a strong vertical relationship with the Lord, as she should have. I'm hurrying. Now, I used to beat her up with my sanctified, sanctimonious self until the Holy Ghost rebuked me by teaching me otherwise. Job's wife is no different than you and I. She allowed herself to say something unthinkable at her weakest moment. Haven't you said some things that you never thought you were going to say, but you hurt so bad or you watched somebody else hurt so bad that you said it? Go ahead and say amen. I'll tell you, I'm going to altar call in a little bit. We'll fix the rest of you. Listen to me. Let me tell you about Miss Job. Mrs. Job, everything Job suffered except for the boils in his body, she suffered. Who do you think mothered those ten kids? He had a part in it, but it was minimal. She brought him in. Ten kids. So, when Job lost his ten kids, Mrs. Job lost her ten kids too. She suffered everything he suffered except the boils. Who do you think helped keep those servants scheduled on a time clock, so to speak? Mrs. Job helped him out. Who do you think, who do you think helped him get those barns and those storehouses and buy that property and look good when he went out in public dressed up like little Lord Fauntleroy? It's, it's Mrs. Job. So don't beat her up too hard. Because all of us, all of us here this morning have sometime in our lives said something we didn't think we were going to say. But here's the difference with Job. And I, I'm, I'm hurrying here. Job, because he had a vertical relationship. Because he had a relationship with God in the good times and the bad times. He said, you know, honey, 
you speak as a foolish woman. He wasn't trying to insult her. He said, in comparison, what kind of people would we be if we accept only the good thing from God and not the adversity? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Somebody would say amen. Let me show you something else as part of the lessons. And I'm going to try to wrap it up in a few moments. Discernment is needed to detect wrong advice from well-meaning people. Hey, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. This is not going to be so profound, but it's going to be very true. Not all advice is good advice. Not even when the one who gives the advice thinks it's right advice. It may not be good. Hear me, everybody. Even though Job's wife's advice was given with sincerity, it was still bad advice. Faulty advice. Not all advice is good advice. Let me read to you a little something cute. A man had just finished lunch and he was driving his car towards his next appointment. And his mind kind of drifted back to the previous evening. On the previous evening, he and his wife had a terrible argument. And he was starting to feel real bad now that he was finished with lunch and reflecting on last night. It's one of those kind of no-win arguments. I mean, you can just keep going around and around and nobody wins. And, and, and all of us know about that if you're married. And nobody should say amen because we'll think that you are in the middle of an argument now. <laughs> but he was feeling pretty guilty over some of the things that he said to his wife the night before. Pretty bad. He said, this, this ought to stop. This ought to stop. Picked up his cell phone in his car while in the middle of a track for jam. And he called. Well, when he called home, the maid answered the phone. And he said to the maid, I'd like to speak to my wife. And she responded by saying, well, she told me that she didn't want to be disturbed right now. He said, excuse me? Doesn't want to be disturbed, he asked. The maid said, that's right. She's upstairs with her boyfriend and uh, she told me that she doesn't want to be interrupted. (laughs) Infuriated. Oof. He lost it. And he said to the maid on the other end of the phone, You know where I keep my shotgun, don't you? Go get it and put two shells in it. And walk upstairs and kill both of them. She, the maid, put the phone down, got the double barrel gun and walked upstairs. And he listened for two blasts. Bang! Bang! Then he waited. She came back down, calmly picked up the phone, the maid did, and said, okay, it's done, they're dead. What do you want me to do with the bodies? And he said to her, throw them in the pool and I'll take care of the rest when I get home. And the maid said, we don't have a pool. <laughs> and he says, excuse me, is this Discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment。discernment
Somebody says, look, why don't you just go ahead and marry him? Uh, he'll change after you get married. You know, there really isn't a cure for stupid in America, you know. But there should be. There should be. Don't tell my wife I use the word stupid because she doesn't like for me to. But I don't know how else to diagnose that. Hey, here's another one. Financial advice. You know, I'm a sort of a financial expert myself here. And uh, I've kind of looked this over. And I think that $10,000 that you want to invest with uh, Bernie Madoff and his financial services, I think that will be a good thing for you to go ahead and do. Oh, Enron, if you don't get... How many know Mr. Madoff made off with other people's stuff? Uh, here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, here's, here's another advice from well-meaning people, but ain't got no stuff. Uh, something like this. Bright and capable as you are, don't bother about finishing school, hon. Do you have any idea how many millionaires there are today who never graduated from high school? And do you have any idea how many idiots there are today? How about this one? Go ahead. Nobody will know. Everybody else is doing it. How about this one? You can do it now. And even though it's wrong, you can ask God to forgive you later. See, that's why I will always have job security as a pastor. Because people listen to advice from other people who ain't got a hill of beans or sense. I'm considering charging $90 an hour for my counseling time. <laughs> but that'll cut the business down, won't it? I tell you, we get this building up in a hurry, Pastor Jeff. Now, now listen, what I want to show you is, is that well-meaning people, if they don't have a relationship with God and know the Bible, are not necessarily the word you ought to be listening to. I, I, I need to move on here, but... Okay, the Holy Ghost is checking me, and I'm not going to exploit it, but I'm going to say it. Some of you here today, some of you parents, some of you grandparents, some of you teens, some of you single men and single women, single parents, you are either doing crazy stuff right now or about to do it that is potentially sinful for yourself or somebody else, and God has allowed somebody into the picture recently to give you godly counsel. But what has happened is, instead of you receiving it as wise counsel, you have chosen to sever a friendship. Or you have chosen to ostracize a family member. Because God used them to come and tell you something that shouldn't be. Or you have even, some of you have even chosen, other people have chosen to leave their church. Because God used a pastor or an elder or somebody else to go to somebody in love who is making shipwreck of their lives by choices, relationships, and sin. And yet some people have left churches like this one because they are mad at the truth and they, are, don't, they don't want to change right now. It feels too good. I told you I'd have you laughing a little bit and then I'll have you crying in a minute. Are you all with me? You see, here, here's part of the problem, brothers and sisters at South Metro Ministries today. Some of us don't like the vehicle that God sends to bring the word of counsel and advice. Can I get an amen here? 
God may send a, a saint of God in the church. God may send a godly mother or a godly father or an elder. God may send a pastor. God may send... God even speaks through children. Yeah. God, God may use somebody to give a word of correction and say, before you fall blindly, free fall into the precipice of destruction, I'm sending Nathan the prophet to you to tell you, stop it. Stop it. I feel the anointing of God just as much as when I started. But sometimes we don't like the person or the vehicle. We're thinking, who does Steve Neal think he is telling me, a man who has three degrees, I've got so many degrees, I ought to be on fire, and <laughs> that God said so and so. See, here's what I'm saying is, I have to measure if God sent Steve Neal in love, and if, and if somebody comes to you in the biblical way, you can still be offended. But I've got to go there in Pastor JC, and I've got to take the Bible and say, Lord, did you say that, and is it for me? And I might not like the vehicle, and I might not like what's going on, but if there's truth in this, and this thing that I'm doing, or allowing, or saying, or being, is destructive, thank you, God, for loving me so much. To send somebody, although it ruffles my feathers, somebody to keep me from making further ruination. Please hear me when I tell you this. I love you and care about you. But there's some people out there who all they want to do is party and live it up and never think about the consequences. And I'm just trying to help you here. Come to the music if you will. You see, I have come to this conclusion about the destructiveness of Satan. And how he would work in the body of Christ. And how he would work in your marriage. And how he would work with your teenagers. I have come to this conclusion in my limited human experience that sometimes God will show me or show somebody else something about me that is harmful. And I have a responsibility. He may even show me something about somebody else over which I have to pray for. There's stuff I've been praying over for weeks. That's stuff I've prayed over for months. I said, God, open up his eyes. Open up her eyes. Ah, ah, please hear me. I'm looking around now. Because I never want to exploit you. When you come to me for counseling, I never want to use your stuff for my sermons. But, but listen to me. If I know something's going on and the Holy Ghost shows me and I, I got credible evidence from prayer and conviction. Do you know if I, if I leave you alone and the Holy Spirit provoked me, then what's going to happen is I become an accomplice to your sin. Silence isn't always golden. I, I'm trying to teach you here, okay? I'm trying to tell you that if I know... My heart aches about some things. In the past, I've had people, I've been here now, you know, almost 25 years. But I, in the past, I've had people in the church who knew about somebody sinning who was in leadership. Volunteer or staff. 
and Pastor Jeff, they didn't come to me. Because they wanted to keep their shallow friendship with that person. While all the time hurting the church. I didn't go this way in the first service. I'm going this way now because this is a different service. Can you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Somebody wants to keep their shallow friendship by covering up somebody else's adultery, fornication, or sexual promiscuity, or lying, or cheating, or gambling, or lust. I am saying to you, brothers and sisters, that we all need a Nathan in our lives. And sometimes God will make you a Nathan. Who's this Nathan you're talking about? It's the man who confronted David after he committed adultery with another man's wife. And because he couldn't cover it up, he murdered the man. And when the woman got pregnant, he... He, David, when the story was over for committing adultery, trying to cover it up, he, covered, he committed murder. And then he lived in hypocrisy and a lie. God gave him about one whole year to get his act together. God gave David, before David would go to sleep, God says, repent. When David would go to the tabernacle, God said, repent. When David would go to the place of sacrifice, God said, repent. But he was the man. He was the king. If anybody gets some slack, it'll be him. And God sent Nathan the prophet to the highest power and the most influential man in all the kingdom. All Nathan is is a country preacher. Do you know the devil said to Nathan, you go there and this is the end of your ministry. And Nathan said, there's too much at risk here. The kingdom, Israel, because if the man on top is sinning, it'll filter down all the way. Stand, everybody. The book of Job closes with blessings because of obedience. I won't take the time to preach them, but you can go home and read them. I'll put it on the screen. When the story of Job is over, God gives him double livestock. Give me an amen. I mean, the Bible says God accepted him. How many of the greatest blessing of your life is to be accepted by God? Say amen. God restored him. God increased him. And God blessed him. All because he kept his integrity. And didn't listen to bad advice. Kept his vertical relationship going. Strong in God. And he did not curse God because God didn't give him warning beforehand of what is to come. I pray with you this morning and for you that you'll be accepted, restored, increased, and blessed. But it won't just come because we quote it. It'll come because we're changed. Bow your heads, please. My Father, I feel like you have anointed the service. And, and I do apologize for just going too long if I did. But I want us today, Lord, to have no hidden places in our lives. I don't want us to have any places where you can come this far and no more. Can I get an amen, church? Well, God, be it our money, be it our children, be it our job, be it our sick bodies or well bodies, be it our education, be it our favorite sport or our hobby. I don't want there to be any place in our lives where we say, God, you can't have this. I want you to have it all. We've missed it, God. I've missed it. I've said some stuff that I didn't think I was going to say. But being mad... 
I said some stuff about you and questioned you in ways that Job did. Thank you for not killing me. Amen, church? Thank you for loving me. Now look at me just a moment. Anybody in this house say, Pastor, the cords and the ropes of my vertical relationship needs to be tightened. I know he's got this, on his end of it, he's got it. He's got the cords and he's got the rope and I'm anchored. But sometimes my hands slip and I, I need a better vertical relationship. I don't want to, Pastor, I don't want to change my view of God just because my circumstances change. I want to be integrity. I wonder if somebody else will say this morning, Pastor, I have listened to some well-meaning people, but I have listened to the wrong people, and now I'm ready to listen again to God. Can I get a witness here? And Pastor, if there's anything I want today, is to be accepted, restored, increased, and blessed. Come from where you are. And I want to pray for you before we leave. Come in Jesus' name. Might you, if you have a chorus. I expect that you are going to be blessed as you come. Come from everywhere. I believe. Thank you, Jesus. It's your mind. How can we fill up the whole altar? We fill up the aisles. Sing it. Go ahead. Sing it, Pastor Zach. Sing it with the church. about and eyes to close while these others are here you say pastor I'm in a relationship or situation that I shouldn't be in because I hadn't even run it by God and God has checked me about it and now I need to go back and say God I'd rather have you first if you'll come in Jesus name I won't I won't make you a public spectacle oh Jesus I love you today now all over the church and those who've come in the altar, raise up your hands to the Lord and pray and tell Him what you need to. Everybody, raise your voices a little louder than a whisper. Tell Him what you need today as a result of hearing the Word. Come on, in Jesus' name, pray out loud. Father, I pray loud enough to hear myself pray. And God, I have, I have said the unthinkable sometimes. I have blamed you. I have blamed somebody else. When all the time it's been my... Lack of a vertical relationship. Come on, pray. Father, I pray over all these people this morning. In the name of Jesus. God, we bring our stuff to the altars today. And I pray, God, we won't get mad at you or get mad at the Word because you have sought and taken the Word to check our hearts today. Wash us, Jesus. Come on, pray. Let me hear you pray, church. Cleanse me. Lift those hands. Lift those voices. God, I want to forgive better than I've than I have forgiven the past. God, I don't want to have a bad attitude. I don't want anything to hinder my blessings. I want to be accepted. I want to be received. I want to be increased. Oh God, I want to be blessed. Father, I pray over this entire church this morning 
that it would be well with our souls. It would be well with our marriage. It would be well with our children and our grandchildren, those who have grandchildren. God, I pray this morning that none of us will get mad with God or get mad with one another, but we will thank God that He loved us enough to help us to see ourselves as He wants us to be. Oh, I praise you, Jesus. Oh, God, come on, leave, leave it at the altar. I leave, oh, God, all my fears in the altar. I leave all my frustrations in the altar. Hallelujah to Jesus. I want those of you that are elders here and staff and other people who pray with people, come on, come on, lay your hands and move among these people and just lay your hands on them. Come on, elders and staff and uh, other elders who serve in the past and people who are in ministry who are anointed, come on, come on, don't just stay with one person, but just lay your hands on their shoulder and pray for them in Jesus' name. Church, reach your hands in this direction. Come on. I don't want this thing to kind of fizzle out. Not when God is here. I want us to, to overcome Satan. Father, in Jesus' name, touch us, O oh God. I didn't call these people up here this morning to decorate this altar. I didn't call these people here, God, to expose them in a negative way. But, O oh God, we came to this place of living water where the river is flowing. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would just be pleased with us today. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. God, we've been so busy sometimes taking care of the little speck in somebody else's eyes at the neglect of the beam in our own eyes. We've been so busy sometimes licking our own wounds and licking, bandaging our own wounds until we've neglected the wounds of other people, God. God, we've been so busy wanting security and friendship that we've failed to be a Nathan for somebody else. Come on and pray. God, you've told us to go to somebody. You've told us to pray for somebody. You've told us to write that letter. You've told us to give that gentle correction. But because of a friendship, because of our position, we don't want to lose influence. And so we've missed it. But cleanse us today. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Would you lay your hands on somebody's shoulder beside you and pray a blessing over them before we leave this morning? Would you do that even now? Lay your hands on somebody's shoulder on either side and say, God, this is my brother. This is my sister. It may even be your family. Father, let the anointing flow from hand to hand and from person to person. Thank you, Jesus. Satan, I resist you. Satan, I cast you out of these lives. You have no dominion over them. Devil, you have no control. You have no say. Jesus is Lord. Come on, pray. Pray like if you and your prayers were the key to their deliverance. Oh God, we didn't just sit here by accident. We didn't come in this pew. It may be the pew we always sit in, but today is a different day. And you want to use me, God, to be a Nathan to pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I praise you. Oh, hallelujah to Jesus. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Somebody now put your hands together and give the Lord thanks with me. Come on. Come on. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Righteous word. Never you are the same. And they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Righteous word. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Most high. And blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Thank you with me.